Well, good morning, church. It is so good to be together to worship this morning. We are excited. It's the first Sunday of the month, so we're doing family worship. We have our older kiddos in the room. Kids, we have planned for you to be here. If you didn't get an engagement bag on your way in, feel free with your grown-up's permission. You can go grab one. They're by each of our sanctuary doors. There's some tools in there to help you engage in the worship service. Uh, Also, later in the service, we'll be partaking in communion. And so if you did not receive communion elements on your way in, the little, I call them lunchable communion, but the juice and the cracker, uh, you're welcome to get up and go get those as well so that you have that for later in the service. Uh, It's so good to be here. My name is Jeannie Balzer. I am our children's pastor here. So I'm preaching on Sundays too, but usually I'm back with the kiddos. Uh, But it's such a joy to get to bring the word uh, this morning with each of you. I'm excited to be here. And if you know me, it's like super easy to tell that I am a children's pastor. In fact, I hear my friends say all the time, you're such a children's pastor because I will do things that are characteristic of a children's pastor all the time, like spontaneously bursting into song, like Sunday school songs. Anybody remember the old Sunday school songs? Um, So we're talking about the woman at the well, like I'm singing like I've got a river of life, right? Like I'll just start singing those songs. I'll, I'll use language like make sure you go potty or like use your listening ears. And the staff is like, Jeannie, Give me a break, right? Like, we're all grown adults. Um, But it's easy to tell by my actions, my behavior. I'm a children's pastor. Um, And I want to tell you guys this story. One time I I was coming back to Kansas from California. I was flying out of the Los Angeles airport. And there was someone else in the airport that I could tell was from the Midwest. Okay? Bear with me. Here's how I could tell. This person would bump into somebody, and then they would say... Ope. I heard, I heard several people say ope, right? That's a Midwest thing to do. They were smiling at everybody that walked in the room. They were striking up a conversation, asking about their family, like learning their life story. That's very characteristic of the Midwest, right? I could tell by the stranger's behavior that they were from the Midwest. And it turns out they were from Missouri. So I was right. They were from the Midwest. Um, So my question to you guys, as we start this new series, By Our Love, right, is would people be able to tell from your behavior, not that you're from the Midwest, but would people recognize you as a follower of Jesus from your behavior? How are you treating others? How are you interacting with the people around you? Because the fact of the matter is, our behavior is going to show something, right? We recognize and learn about people from their behavior. So the things that we do, the words that we say, they matter. Jesus says that it's our Christ-like love that will show we are his disciples. That behavior, Christ-like love, will be the evidence in our words and actions Are they things that are demonstrating Christ-like love? This series, By Our Love, comes from two verses in John chapter 13, um, verses 34 and 35. And would y'all read the yellow words with me? It says, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. 
Jesus says, love one another three times there. In these verses, it's during the Last Supper when he's talking to his disciples, he's given them these instructions, and he says, love one another three separate times. It's a pretty important thing. It's not an optional idea. It's not a suggestion. It's an expected commandment, right? It is the defining characteristic. By this, they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. To love others wasn't a new idea or a new commandment, but to love them the way Jesus was talking about, to love them how Jesus loves, was everything, right? It was the whole purpose of everything, right? So they uh, are commanded to love one another. Not just any kind of love, Christ-like love. It's more than the warm, fuzzy feelings you get. It's a love that is selfless, that requires action, that is hard work. Christ-like love is hard work. So how can we love others as Jesus loves us? Oh, I thought I had another slide. Excuse me. Okay, I have a list for y'all. And I'm going to be honest, this list comes from my study Bible. Um, I didn't come up with this list. I'm sure we could come up together with a list a mile long of ways to show Christ-like love to others, right? Um, But I found this list in my study Bible, and I wanted to share it with y'all. And I wanted to encourage you guys um, to find a good study Bible or a good resource. You don't have to have a whole bookshelf of commentaries. You don't have to have a bunch of textbooks from uh, Discovering the Bible or Intro to New Testament like, like I do on my shelf. But just a good study Bible can be a great resource. And our kids even know. So this is the Bible we use with our kids And there's even all these little tidbits of information um, that our kids are loving to dig into when we read our Bibles back in kids' worship. So this list that my Bible offered of ways to show Christ-like love, let me talk about these. By helping even when you are too busy. How many people here would say, oh man, I'm really busy, right? Everybody feels busy. I always, someone will say, hey Jeannie, how are you? Oh, I'm, I'm busy, but good, right? Our schedules are busy. This isn't saying to overcommit or overextend yourself or put more on your plate than you can handle, but rather reflect and think, are you busying yourself with the right things, with things that demonstrate and show Christ-like love? Are you busying yourself with the right things? The next one was giving sacrificially. Not giving what's easy or giving what's extra. Jesus gave sacrificially. So what are you giving up in order to show Christ-like love? By devoting energy to others' welfare rather than our own. Worrying about someone else, caring for someone else. Not in a, ooh, look at me, I'm serving kind of way. Not in a, oh, let me help them so that later they'll also help me back. But just in a selfless, self-giving genuine care for the other to show Christ-like love. This last one, by absorbing hurts from others without complaining, fighting back, or seeking revenge. And I'd like to add, or having to get the last word. Mm, Right? That's an act of Christ-like love. Absorbing those hurts without getting defensive or even offensive, right? We want to fight back. Can we just receive those blows when people try and hurt us and show Christ-like love to them in return? These are just a few examples. This list is far from exhaustive. We could go on and on about more ways to show Christ-like love. But even from this list, we see 
Christ-like love that we're talking about, like it's not necessarily an easy-peasy thing, right? This is, this is sometimes hard stuff to do. But that's why it's important when you do it, and that's why when you do it, people will notice. They will notice there's something different motivating your behaviors. And when they notice, guys, then that gives you the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Point them to the Christ of Christ-like love, right? It gives you the chance to tell someone about Jesus. May I just challenge you all, tell somebody about Jesus this week. Anybody, tell them about Christ's love for them. The love that Jesus calls us to seems humanly like impossible. It's hard stuff. How are we going to do it on our own? Well, we don't. It becomes possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. We first experience Christ's love, and we are transformed by it. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. We're a new creation in Christ, right? We're transformed by his love. We are made new, and we humble ourselves before him. We say, yes, Jesus, and we let go of our old past. The old is gone. We leave our buckets behind. There's a bucket up here. I'm going to talk about that here in a little bit. We leave our buckets behind. And then we're filled with and equipped by the Holy Spirit to live in and to show Christ's love to others. And our main text for today is an excellent example of exactly that, of someone who is transformed by Jesus' love and then goes and shares that with others. So I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 4, if you have your Bibles with you or your devices, um, as we read the story of the woman at the well. You maybe have heard this story before, the woman at the well, um, and we're going to read the first several verses together. Starting in verse 1. It says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was also there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. I think my favorite part of this story, y'all, comes from verse 10, where Jesus says, If 
you knew, right? If you only knew, like if you knew who you were talking to, we know because we have the whole Bible, we have the whole story, but like if you only knew, right? If we knew the God that we're here to worship, imagine what could happen. So I want to ask you, how many times have you guys heard the phrase, if you only knew? I know you just heard me say it like 20 times, so I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about other times. So maybe you have heard or you have said, if you only knew, if I had only known, if I had known then what I know now, things would have been different. If you only knew the whole story, it would have changed everything, right? If you only knew. Well, knowing Jesus changes everything. Knowing Jesus changes everything. This woman comes to the well and she meets Jesus and it changes everything. So I want to go back to the beginning of this story and I want to run with this theme of what they knew. What um, the people that we're reading about, what they knew. So let's look at that. Jesus knew that the Pharisees were already not too happy with him. They weren't happy he was gaining popularity and baptizing more people, but he also knew it wasn't the right time to confront them just yet. He was still early on in his ministry, and he had more work to do, so he made plans to leave Judea and go back, leave Jerusalem and go back to Galilee, and he also knew that that route that goes from the south back up north to Galilee goes straight through Samaria. Now, Jesus was also a Jew. He knew the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. I was asking the worship team this morning for this, this sermon uh, connection. Like, the Jews and the Samaritans, it's like the chiefs and the dolphins, right? They don't get along. Um, the Jews did not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus knew that. He knew the cultural expectations. He knew what the Pharisees were thinking, but none of these things were going to stop him from doing what he was there to do, right? He didn't let the opposition from the Pharisees, he didn't let the cultural expectations of the Jews and the Samaritans keep him from going through Samaria, from meeting this woman and ministering to her at the well. This woman who desperately needed living water, who desperately needed to be able to leave her bucket behind. The woman at the well knew her reputation. The Bible specifies that it was about noon that she went to the well, and that's significant because women didn't typically go get water around noon in the middle of the day. They'd go in the morning or in the evening, but this woman was there at noon to avoid that crowd. Have you ever felt this way? Outcasted by your sin or your reputation, wanting to avoid a certain crowd, knowing that they're hushed whispers, they were talking about you. You walk into a room and everybody gets quiet and looks at you and you're like, you know, they were all just talking about me. That's not a good feeling, right? But that was this woman. She knew her reputation. She knew what they were saying about her. Also though, have you ever made someone feel this way? This wasn't a fun question to type up because I had to confront my own past and be like, have I ever made someone feel this way? Yeah. I've contributed to the judgment and the gossip and the exclusivity that makes others sometimes feel unwelcome at the well. Part of showing Christ-like love is confronting our own faults. So this woman, people talked about her. 
They didn't like her. They excluded her. They judged her. They did not show her Christ-like love. So imagine her surprise when a Jewish man asks her for a drink from the well. Remember, the Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't get along. Jews wouldn't have even drank from the same like utensils as the Samaritans. She's so surprised, she asks him, how can you ask me for a drink? You're a Jewish man, I'm a Samaritan woman. Y'all don't associate with people like me. What are you thinking? And Jesus says, if you only knew. See, Jesus knew. He knew that the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. He knew this woman's reputation. He knew there was a reason she was there at noon instead of the morning. But he also knew the gift of God himself, the Messiah, the Savior, was there to bring transformation, to bring living water. He was there to change everything. In verse 10, Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you what church? Living water. But she still doesn't know. She doesn't get it. She doesn't understand what he's talking about. And put yourself in her shoes, okay? A stranger who isn't supposed to be talking to you comes up and offers you living water. For me, I'm like, what even is that, right? Like these ponds back behind the church every summer, they get this green, funky stuff growing on them. Like I'm sure there's something living in that water. Is that what Jesus is talking about? No, that's not what he's talking about. Um, So living water could refer to like moving water, right? Not a water that is still and stagnant like in a pond or a puddle, but moving water flowing from a stream or a fountain. And Jesus uses this idea of moving water, of living water, to introduce this divine concept that he's talking about, about God's spirit moving in us. Jesus is talking about God's spirit moving in us, spurring us into action, helping us to show that Christ-like love to others. You see, the woman tried to use her limited human understanding to explain this divine concept. She says, how are you going to offer me this living water or any water? You don't even have a bucket. Kids, like they didn't even have a bucket. Jesus doesn't need a bucket. Kids, I want you to turn to someone around you. Say, Jesus doesn't need a bucket. Exactly. Jesus doesn't need a bucket. Y'all, God is not limited by our human understanding. He is not limited by our human tools or resources. So Jesus talks about this divine concept of living water, and he invites us all to participate in it. He explains it's not like normal water from this well, water that you know and understand, water that you keep having to come back to day after day. The living water that I am offering, what I'm talking about becomes like a spring of water. Jesus is offering the source of water to us directly, his spirit living and active and working in us, enabling us to show this Christ-like love we've been talking about. In the same way that physical water meets our physical need for thirst, living water helps meet that spiritual need for God's sustaining power in us and transforming us. 
And we have access to this power, this spring to Jesus. We're transformed by his love, and then we're called to share it. That's what Jesus is trying to teach this woman at the well in this story. And he continues in his teaching moment by telling her, go get your husband. The next several verses continue this story. He says, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You've had five. And the man you're with now, you're not even married to. In sharing those details, he demonstrated that he knew her. Because someone could have known her reputation by the fact that she was there in the middle of the day. But Jesus knew these details about her. He demonstrates that he knows her. And in this, we see she didn't lie about who she was. And he didn't shame her for her past. What if in showing Christ-like love, we don't shame or judge people for their past? And on the flip side, what if we could be honest about our pasts? Be honest about what you're bringing with you to the well. Are you bringing with you to the well a reputation like this woman? Maybe there's something from your past that you've been dragging around with you, that people know about you, and you take that with you to the well. Is it a sinful habit, something that God's been convicting you on? Gossip, pride, envy, lust, unforgiveness. Be honest about the sin in your life that you're bringing with you to the well. Is it guilt or shame for something that you've done or said in the past? Is it a desire for other people's um, approval or an obsession over their opinions about you? Is it a fear that you're bringing to the well? Are you afraid to let go of control? Are you afraid you're going to get hurt again? Um, are you afraid of something and you're bringing that fear with you to the well? Whatever it is you're bringing. Maybe you're like the women that are there early in the morning getting their water. And you're bringing your gossip and your judgment and your exclusivity to the well. Whatever it is that we're bringing, Jesus wants to free us. From that. He wants to transform us and to fill us with living water and to send us out to share his Christ-like love with others. In verse 25 and 26, the woman says, I know that Messiah called Jesus is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus is the promised Messiah. He lived and showed us what Christ-like love is. He taught us how we are to love others. And then he demonstrated perfect love by going to the cross and dying for our sins. Scripture over and over, it talks about Christ's love for us and what he did on the cross, right? Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 15, 13 says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Jesus, over and over, we read this. Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, made it possible to free us from anything that we bring with us to the well. This woman that we've read about was set free from her past and her sin. She left filled with Christ's living water, determined to share that Christ-like love with others. Verses 28 and 29 says, Then leaving her water jug, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? She left her bucket behind. Her reputation, the work that she had brought with her, like she just left it there and went and told about Jesus. Come meet this man, this man who knows me, who loves me, who's changed everything for me, and who can do it for you too. My hope and my prayer is that that would be your testimony. Jesus knows me. He loves me. He's changed everything for me, and he can do it for you too. We have the opportunity today to respond in communion. And in communion, we remember Christ's body, which is broken for us, and his blood, which was shed for us. We remember what he did on the cross to free us from our sins. And we're invited to the communion table to be filled with his grace, to receive this living water. And then we can go equipped by the Holy Spirit to share his Christ-like love with others. And the best part is, is that everybody is welcome at this table. You don't have to be a Nazarene. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't even have to be an adult to participate in communion. There's no separate kids' table in the kingdom. All are welcome in faith and repentance. So I apologize. I know some of y'all are, you're, you're ready. We're going to sing one more song before we do communion. Uh, so I apologize. You're getting ready. Um, but before we respond in communion, I want to invite you to respond in another way this morning too. You might notice if you can see there's a bucket up here. So as the band comes back up, um, I want to encourage you to think about what's your bucket? What is your bucket? What are you bringing to the well? Jesus invites us to leave it behind. There's some note cards up here and some pens. You can write it down and as a tangible representation of giving it to God, leaving it behind, drop it in the bucket. Fold it up, wad it up, whatever. No one needs to see it. Give it to God and leave it there. And leave filled with his living water. Filled with the Holy Spirit empowering you to show this difficult but worth it Christ-like love to others. And may we all be a people who are known by our love. Do you stand and sing as we sing one more song this morning?